worked on Song of Solomon a good while back, and we'll keep going with that. I mean, we uh, obviously Song of Solomon is just a challenge to understand from a lot of standpoints. You've got uh, different speeches by different characters, but it's not always clear who's who. It's almost like a play in that sense, but there's really not a plot exactly. And uh, so we're just kind of, man, you take off starting to read it. Besides the language that's uh, rather explicit, you've just got some confusion as far as what's going on. But what I think you've got is basically a husband and wife that Solomon's describing that love each other. And that we have a description, more or less, in some... Um, you know, exchanges, some poems, and so forth. You have some things that describe their love for each other and some situations that they are in and so forth. And you've got tidbits of advice that are given as well as things that you can see in their relationship that help us to understand what God intends in marriage. And because the relationship between Jesus and his people is essentially a marriage relationship, then the principles we're learning in Song of Solomon apply also to the relationship between God and his people. Uh, so we're kind of looking at this on two levels, seeing that the, I think the basic story is, is uh, the basic um, poetry is dealing with the two individuals, the, the husband and wife, but that we, we legitimately can make points about uh, Jesus and his people off of that. That's basically, um, you know, what I want to say by way of introduction. They've uh, talked about each other and to each other throughout these uh, first uh, chapter and a half. And uh, with the final exhortation in 2-7 being, wait until your wedding night. This is something worth waiting for. Don't arouse love until the time comes that it's appropriate. And certainly... <laughs> This is not a book trying to cause us to experience these fruits before the proper time. If they're experienced prematurely, they are not sweet and they are not a blessing. And so that's, they're going to come to that warning from time to time in the book. Anything you want to say before we move on? All right, 8 to 14 of chapter 2 then. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. O oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your form is lovely. Okay, so in verse 8, she says, listen, my beloved. I take it she's excited, and uh, she's she's almost breathless, kind of on the scene reporting what's about to happen. He's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. So you see the attitude of both of them in that. She's excited and just uh, 
anticipating greatly his arrival. She's not trying to hide how eager she is for him to come. But what do you see in how he's coming? Coming quickly and maybe joyfully. Yeah, he's enthusiastic about this rendezvous too. He's leaping the hills. Reminds me of a Superman. You could leap tall buildings in a single bound or uh, whatever. Uh, he's not ashamed either for people to know how he feels about her. And uh, he's willing to leap over whatever obstacle is in his way. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. And before you know it, where is he? Looking in the window. Yeah, he's, he's there. He's looking in the window for her, peering through the lattice. You know, he's, he's seeking her. He's, he's, he wants to be with her. You certainly see that these two really like each other. You know, uh, sometimes people get married and they lose that. But these two haven't lost it. Uh, you know, she's wanting him to come and he's there trying to find her, you know, eager for her. Um, you know, if, if you're in love, you can leap over mountains and uh, you can find your beloved. So he invites her. My beloved responded and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. Uh, so she's, uh, he's eager for her to come with him. He's kind of wooing her. Um, and so he says, uh, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for the pruning of the vines. The voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig trees ripened its figs. The vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Now, why did he tell us all that? Or tell her all that? Saying it's beautiful and fresh and lovely outside, so come with me. Yeah, when's the time for love, uh, season-wise? Spring. Spring! The winter's over, things are blossoming. You know, there's just kind of a universal connotation to spring that, that... you know, signals the the love and and the closeness. Uh, maybe when it was winter, it would be too cold to get out or too rainy or whatever. Uh, but he's asking her to come and enjoy the spring freshness and vigor and uh, newness. He talks about the sights and the sounds, and uh, you know, he's just he's just. Um, beckoning her with his words. I mean, you see a lot of tenderness. You see him not bashful about, you know, seeking her with what he says, telling her how he feels, inviting her to be with him in the in the great outdoors. Again, you know, I think a place for love, a place for them to give themselves to each other. Uh, so he's uh, he starts it by saying uh, in verse 10, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. And he ends by saying, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. 10 and the end of 13. So what he, there's no question about what he wants. He wants her to arise and come. You know, he's, he's begging her to join him on the mountains in spring uh, to be with each other. Um, and then he says in verse 14, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Now, 
you know, he is not forcing her to come out and be with him. He is appealing to her. You know, he praises her. He calls her by his pet names. Oh, my dove and my darling and, you know, all those kind of things. And he speaks of how wonderful she is to him Never mind the sights and the sounds of spring. He wants to see and hear her. That's the sights and the sounds he's interested in. Um, and so, you know, he's just, this is, this is his, uh, you know, romantic appeal to her. You know, he wants her and he's uh, eager for her and he, he, he sh- shares how much he thinks about her. And uh, before I let you talk, then let me say that I think this is also a picture of the Lord and us. The Lord comes for us. He loves us intently. And he seeks to woo and win us. He calls for us. He tells us of his love. He tells us how much he wants us. The winter's passed for us too. And there's a God who deeply desires a relationship with us, who values us. He's moved heaven and earth to take away the barriers so that we can be with him and he wants to us to be with him. You know, when you think about this from a from a, you know, more spiritual realm, it's amazing all that the Lord has done to try to persuade us to be with him. We understand that the benefit in that relationship is all ours. But he's seeking us. He doesn't just say, well, listen, I'll help you if you'll come, but I don't much care if you do or not. You know, he is pulling out all the stops to try to persuade us to accept the blessing of being with him because he values us and wants us to be near him. All right, that was probably too much at one setting, but uh, thoughts and comments, questions about 8 to 14. <coughs> is there a reason he doesn't go to the door in verse 9? No. <laughs> that would be too mainstream. I don't know about that. I don't know that that's really the question here. He's just looking for her. The door's closed. You know, the door's probably, uh, you know, wouldn't allow him to see her. He wants to see her. Romeo didn't go to the door either. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he took after Romeo. Are very impractical. <laughs> Tough guys go to the window, not the door. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't climb through, he invites her to come out. He's not. Is the, is the story chronological at all, or is, have they, is this like the first invitation, or have they met, you know? Oh, I think they're married. I think he's inviting her to be with him. I think they're married the whole time. Now, I think you kind of see the maybe a picture of like her, the initial encounter later on. I don't think it's chronological. I don't think it's a story. Um, I do think it's the same man and woman. And I think you're just seeing different little snapshots of their relationship. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this is an invitation, not for a date, but for something more serious, it looks to me like. He wants to see your form. Could the spring and winter just be a separation and then back together and not? Yeah, and maybe just the idea, you know, it's time for love. I mean, I don't know that the winter is necessarily meant it was bad for their relationship, but he's going to use anything he can get. Or it could have been, maybe he was on a journey or whatever. Sure, yeah. The winter is past. Yes. This, 
For their relationship, clearly the winter has passed. <laughs> Whatever the season was. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty warm around there, uh, one way or the other. So, uh, you know, I mean, what is there is there, is there any limit to the creativity of a guy who uh, wants to uh, you know appeal to his wife to to be with him? But he's not a, it's not a reluctant woman. We'll see that here. She's, uh, and we've seen that already. She was, she was madly in love with him. I mean, she started out with a bang. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. That's how she began the story. So it's not like she's reluctant. You know, we have some of this idea in the world that, you know, men are interested and women never are. Well, that's not true of this woman. She's every bit as interested as he is. Other questions or comments or thoughts? Is there a significance to the secret place of the pathway and the cleft of the rock? Yeah, probably, but I don't know what it is. Um, some people have suggested that maybe seeing her as a dove in the cleft of the rock picks her as being kind of shy and maybe hesitant. Maybe. I just assumed that whatever they were doing needed to be done in secret. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Private place. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe that's the uh, left of the rock is a favorite encounter uh, spot. Yes, only in the presence of God. Doesn't seem too shy. You're right. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, is is she not talking to other women maidens and stuff mm-hmm. at the time? And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Good point. All right, 15 to 17. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards, while our vineyards are in blossom. Our beloved is mine, and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies, until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle, or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. Now, one question mark is, who's saying this in verse 15? I don't know. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's her. I don't know if it's the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, I think I get the idea of what's being said. You know, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Now, you realize there's a bunch of, I don't know what you want to call it. I call it metaphor, metaphorical language. Or symbols, you could call it. But there's a lot of words that mean a little more than what they might uh, mean on the surface. And I think vineyard is clearly one of those. I mean, she's talked about her vineyard that she hadn't taken care of back in 1-6. Then we're going to see her vineyard, orchard, whatever you want to call it, the garden in chapter 4 that's got all these wonderful uh, fruits uh, just ready for him to pick. So I think uh, the vineyard refers to... Uh, either her body specifically or just their love in general. And the foxes would be anything that is, uh, you know, hurting their loving relationship. Uh, foxes can damage uh, crops. And so they're whatever's d- damaging this paradise garden of these two. I'm thinking maybe third parties who are trying to uh, woo one of them away. You know, clearly... 
you don't want some guy uh, flirting with her or some woman uh, making herself available to him. Those would be foxes that destroy the relationship. Maybe other things, maybe things like mistrust and selfishness and pride and resentment, things like that. There could be maybe more broadly foxes that could spoil the relationship. So, but but he, whatever it is, we don't want anything to interfere. Makes me in think of Samson. <laughs> yeah, tying the foxes together. Ruining the field. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure there is a lot of par- parallel, but yeah, it does kind of remind you of that. <laughs> and she then says, my beloved is mine and I am his. Now, I think that implies an exclusive nature to their relationship. She is not anybody else's. He's not anybody else's. And they are they are one. You know, there's just such a closeness that gives companionship and security, overcomes loneliness. And it's never one-sided. Well, he's mine. Or she's mine. But my beloved's mine and I am his. Mind you, First Corinthians 7, you know, our bodies belong to our mate. You know, we give ourselves to each other. It reminds me of, I am, I shall be their God and they shall be my people. You know, it's that closeness where he's our God, we're his people. And so you can't hardly get away from thinking about God and his people here in, in all of this. But, but she says, he pastures his flock among the lilies until the cool of the day. When the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. Um, so she is inviting him as soon as he's done with his pastoral work to come and join her, to be with her. Uh, I believe from the symbolism of the mountains, you might uh, think about four, six and seven, uh, eight. I think it refers to uh, her physical endowments. And so he's she's inviting him to enjoy her body. Again, you know, there's there's a lot of metaphor here. I prefer to do it that way. I think it's an appropriate thing to do. And instead of using some of the more, um, you know, descriptive, literal language, to leave it in the metaphor. But but it doesn't take a lot of, uh, you know, thought to think about uh, how you would look at a woman's mountains. And, um, you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to embrace, and that's what they're about to do. And uh, we're, we're intended in marriage to enjoy one another. And so he was bounding over the hills for her, and now she's inviting him to turn and be with her. So there's... A great deal of mutuality in this uh, relationship they have. Thoughts and comments? According to the Bible, Gateway is New King James Version. They're saying that the part, verse 15 about the foxes is being said by her brothers. (laughs) Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) That's a blast from who knows where. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That I thought that was like, okay. I have not, I don't recall even having read that. So, <laughs> yeah. That says her brother. But that is the challenge here. You're trying to figure out who's saying what about whom. You know, it's a little complicated. In my margin here in the New American Standard, it says the chorus, which would be like the daughters of Jerusalem. But I think it could, I think it could easily be him or her as well. <clears throat> 
And maybe it just doesn't matter a whole lot because it's more the meaning of this. I really feel pretty comfortable about these first two chapters. I wish I could say the same thing about all the rest of it. Chapter 3 is not a chapter I feel very comfortable about. I think I've understood the first two. I come up with my barriers and like, what what in the world are we talking about more when we come to chapter 3? So, anything you want to say before we get into what I consider more challenging? So that note saying the chorus or the bride or the bridegroom, are those some kind of a translation of something? Or what is that... That is strictly interpretation of the translation. Because the way they're noted here, they're noted as if, as if in other places where you would have a word and a translation of that. Or another. This is just interpretive. Yeah, there's nothing in the text to indicate. Yeah. My Bible doesn't have any... Right. Yeah. It, it will separate into paragraphs, like where it thinks mm-hmm. that that... Yeah. And it's going to depend strictly on your Bible. It's going to have it all different ways, depending on what Bible you've got. If you've got something in the margin, it depends on how they saw it. But yeah, there's nothing in the original too. Just like this says, the Shulamite to herself, Solomon to the Shulamite... Of course, the Shulamite to herself. Yeah. Husband to daughters of Jerusalem. Her <laughs> brothers. <laughs> yeah, yours goes even uh, farther with this deal. And then there's the people who could take it as three characters and have the shepherd boy too, and they really have to tell you who's saying what to whom every uh, clause. So it gets super complicated. Now, the pronouns in Hebrew, they are masculine and feminine. So you can tell, like... You know, if it says, my beloved, it's mine and I am his, like, is that a male, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, and I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure about that. Okay, because that would help us a lot, assuming that's a real... Yeah, I think most of the time, though, we're being able to tell, even by the phrasing, my beloved is more what she says to him... You know, when he says, my uh, darling and my dove, that's more what he says okay. to her. There's some okay. things like that. But I'm not sure if we know from the pronouns. So. I don't know. Ask a Hebrew scholar. Yeah, maybe I will. Yeah. Tell me if or somebody like that could do it. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, plow into chapter three and see what we get into. <laughs>